Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Okay. Uh, welcome. My name is Jim A. I'm a recovering sexaholic. Hey, uh, welcome to the panel, uh, which is <laughs> me, and hopefully John will be here in a minute. Um, I'm also going to be the moderator, since we really don't have a moderator. So, in the spirit of the fifth tradition, to carry the essay message, this session will be recorded. Uh, the recorder will not be turned off during this session, so it will be running the whole time. If you do not wish to be recorded, you may participate by listening. Please do not tamper with the recording equipment. So, um, we'll move it over here whenever someone comes up to speak. Uh, we will begin the meeting with a few moments of silence, followed by the serenity prayer. All right, serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. Uh, would someone please read the essay purpose from page 201 in the white book? They may solve their common problems and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership or self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not analyzed by any sect, nomination, politics, organization, or institution, not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. All right, so our panelists for this session are myself, Jim A. I'm a sexaholic. Uh, sobriety date is November 20th, 2014. And then John? My name is John D. I'm a recovering sexaholic. I've been sober since uh, May 25th, 1999. Uh, each of us will share 10 minutes on this topic. Uh, let's go ahead and read the topic. So... The disposition of the heart. We think that our problem is really our mind. We learn that our attitudes enable our addiction. It is only through absolute surrender of our lust that we allow the Spirit of God to renew our mind and give us a pure heart. Um, and then let me go ahead and just do the guidelines for sharing and take care of that now. Uh, because our Commonwealth Fair comes first, here are the guidelines for sharing during this meeting. We do not cross-talk. That is, we share with the group as a whole rather than addressing any individual member. We speak in the I, not the we, or the you. We leave our other identities at the door, including politics, religions, therapies, treatment centers, occupations, and other 12-step issues. We speak about... And from the essay point of view, our meeting focuses on solutions to our, our essay approach to recovery. 
Whenever possible, we avoid the mention of titles and authors that are not SA or AA approved literature. In participation, we avoid topics that can lead to dissension and distraction. We also avoid profanity, sexual descriptions, and sexually abusive language. In sharing, if a speaker brings up a controversial topic or deviates from our guidelines, the moderator will interrupt the speaker and ask them to honor our request. Please note that your shares will be recorded. In sharing, we encourage you to focus on the topic of the meeting. This is not a check-in meeting. If you need to check in, please find a temporary sponsor, someone with a purple stripe on their name tag. After the meeting, with whom you can share, uh, that was part of the previous sentence, we ask those who wish to share to please come up and sit in the chairs next to the microphone. So we've, we've got one chair. I guess if you want to kind of get in the line, you could take these first couple of chairs up front. Um, <clears throat> as one person moves to the sharing chair, the others just move over and another person takes their place. Uh, please limit your sharing to a maximum of two minutes or less. We will have, I will have a timer here and I will, will show you the two minutes and the stop. Um, a stop sign will remind you when you have reached two minutes. Please speak into the microphone so that those who listen to the recording can follow the discussion. So now the uh, meeting is open for sharing. Uh, and then I guess you want me to go first? Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> so this this is a topic that's kind of true to my heart. Um, and I guess what I'd like to do first is kind of go back and, and share, since a lot of you probably don't know my, my story, I'm going to kind of go back and just give a brief overview of you know, where I've come from and, you know, where I am today and, and how, in a way, it's where I was and where I am today. The biggest difference is my, my heart is open. Um, in the sense that I was always so locked into a state of almost not feeling, you know, so <clears throat> I grew, grew up in New York. Um, one weird thing is both my families were originally from Georgia. My my father grew up here in Georgia. Um, I grew up, both my parents uh, are narcissists. I can't really say it any other way. You know, they're, they're, they cared more about themselves than, than us. We kind of were just there to kind of go along for the ride. Uh, my mother was probably even more of an extreme narcissist. Um, you know, she early on made comments to us along the lines of, you know, we were mistakes, we weren't really planned, and, you know, there were there were a lot of comments like that. My parents had decided to divorce at a pretty young age. Um, <clears throat> I was on, or I was only six, so they'd only been married about eight years, nine years, and the the divorce. My dad ended up leaving for a secretary and. You know, so early on there was a lot of trauma. There was trauma of abandonment with the divorce and, um, I early on, I guess in order to cope, the way I ended up coping was, um, was masturbation. Um, I remember early on, uh, I was probably no, no older than five or six. Um, teachers at school would pick me up off the carpet because I was, I was masturbating in the carpet. So I started that at a real young age, and 
almost used it like a coping mechanism. It was a way for me to kind of, I guess, check out. And as, you know, as I got older and I found other things that, you know, pictures to look at, um, you know, since a lot of this was before the Internet, um, you know, it, it was books and magazines. Uh, the moment or the time I mentioned before when I was picked up off the carpet, I'd actually found a book. <laughs> And was looking at pictures in this book in the, in the school library, you know. So those things were there, um, and unfortunately, my parents didn't really address it. You know, they they actually made fun of it. They described, you know, they'd call it Jimmy's doing his exercises, and you know, instead of getting me some help or dealing with what was going on, they just kind of made fun of it and you know, shoot it away. Um, and then after the divorce. My mother really didn't do too well, so my grandparents lived around the block, so we would go to church with them, and they would pick us up. My mother would stay in in bed pretty much most of the day, and they would take us, uh, you know, to church, and we would go to Sunday school, and I never really had a a hardcore connection with with religion, even though I I went with them for years up up until we left to go to live in Florida. you know, to me, it was just something I had to do. Um, and I, because of that, I never really had a connection, you know, with religion or with God. And I actually thought, you know, spirituality was one thing and religion was something else. You know, so later um, we moved to Florida and, and I was having major issues with my mother and I went to go live with my dad. Um, and he most of the reason was he would let me do anything I wanted and he also gave me a car so it was a teenager it was a lot of doing those things um, having that kind of freedom you know so I I continued to masturbate Um, I ended up you know I was kind of a late bloomer I never had had sex till I was probably 22 and it was a much older woman who came on to me and kind of taught me probably the inappropriate things to do and um you know, and I continued to go down that road of, of masturbating and, and pornography. Um, I ended up meeting my wife through a dating service, and it was before online dating services. It was one of those where you went and looked at videos, which, again, is, is kind of inappropriate. So it was, you know, so we met, uh, we got engaged, and, you know, even looking back, you know, back to those days, I, I was almost late to the wedding because I had, I guess I was freaking out and was looking at pornography and almost was late to the wedding. She, I think, was completely freaked out because I kind of rolled in at the 11th hour. Um, You know, so I I started this at at a really young age and it it was in order to to cope with life. I also, one other piece I, I forgot to mention is when I was 25, I was diagnosed with cancer and I had two serious uh, surgeries and six six rounds of chemotherapy. Um, you know, so I... And that was before I met her. So I had trauma from that. I had trauma from the divorce. Um, you know, and and a way for me to cope with it was, was the masturbation and an es- escaping. And, you know, first it was the masturbation, then the pornography kind of took it. And when video came out... And being online and it just took it to a whole new level um, I did when I was in like when I was going through cancer I was introduced to the lady who kind of ran the cancer center and she 
Oops. That was excellent for two minutes. Um, so she she had a, she was an ordained minister as well as in charge of the cancer center. So she was really my first spiritual teacher I ever had. And unfortunately, we kind of knew my wife and I figured out pretty quickly that there was there was an issue with with me since we weren't really you know having sex on a regular basis. And it became pretty clear that it was because I was masturbating. And you know how she put it was, well, just stop. You know, and of course that didn't work. Um, so that went on for several years, and then I got into a real, um, kind of real anxiety fulfilling type job. You know, it was very stressful, long hours, <clears throat> and it just, it, you know, the masturbation and the pornography just went wild at that point. I was, I was masturbating for hours on end. I was losing time, you know, when I'd go in there just to, you know, do it for a short period of time before I knew it, four or five hours, it just disappeared. Um, and my, of course, my relationship with my wife was going, going down the hill. It, and around that point with that job, she caught me and then she found stuff on my, on my, uh, laptop and we went to a therapist and, you know, this therapist was talking about that it was most likely Anxiety, and maybe I should take medication. And so I ended up going to a different therapist uh, when clearly she wasn't helping me. I went to a male therapist who introduced me to SA. Um, and but the story with him is a little odd because I went to SA, and this was this was probably in 2009. So I started going to to some SA, and I got a, a sponsor and. I came back and I told him who the sponsor was and it turned out it was one of his other patients and he told me I don't want you to have that sponsor which was really kind of uncouth and unusual um, so it gave me a great excuse I was like well I can just stop going to SA and you know and so I stopped going to SA and you know continued to well at that point I started lying to him I started saying you know I can control this and you know, which in fact, as all of us know, um, you know, I, I could not, you know, I thought I could, but I could not. So, um, my wife then caught me again and this was probably, yeah, this was 2014 and she, <clears throat> she had had it. Uh, she's long-term AA 30 years and she was always, you know, get to a meeting, you know, and she also had me jumping through hoops and, and doing different things, you know, so at that point, I, I started back full force to SA. I got a sponsor, and I started working the 12-step programs, and you know, and really working on myself, digging deeper, trying to figure out what what was at the heart of it, and then what really helped me was coming to a, um, an understanding that I needed to be honest, this this being dishonest and lying. I was actually in a men's group with the other therapist that I had lied to for probably a year or two, you know, that I was sober when I really wasn't. Um, you know, so at that point, she, you know, she kicked me not out of the house but into the basement, and, you know, and she had had it, and... You know, so going back to SA, it, it, and then I finally, I guess it humbled me enough where I went ahead and I started doing the things I needed to do, you know, working the 12 step, getting a sponsor, um, 
I actually got a different therapist to go to, which also made a big difference. But started looking deeper and, and trying to understand who I was and, and what my higher power was. Because my higher power, I had never really understood what that meant. And I, I always thought that religion and spirituality were were different. Um, so bringing those two together, I, I did... You know, with a lot of reading and, and uh, my sponsors telling me to look and read different things and, and actually her sponsors too. So I, I actually got I got assignments from her sponsors as well as uh, my own sponsor, which was interesting. Of course, at that point, I probably should have realized, well, there's something not quite right about that. But, um, I, was, I was just jumping through hoops to, to stay in the marriage. Um, so, but it did help me. It did help me to dig deeper and it did help me to get to a point where I can be, I could be brutally honest with myself and with my sponsor and with, you know, with my wife at that time. Um, you know, it, it, it helped me to understand that, you know, my perception, I, I, I describe it as I had fear goggles on all the time i was i was in fear of everything and a lot of times i didn't realize it you know but when i slowed down um and i got some really good advice for some you know from someone from a sponsor who was much wiser than me that said you need to really slow down and think about your thoughts think you know almost take a remote look at yourself you know and those thoughts that are going by and also keep your mouth shut um you know, think through those thoughts while you're having them and if they're real. And as I did that more and more and I learned what meditation was and I did more and more meditation and I got another spiritual teacher who who was very helpful with teaching me how to do meditation and teaching me um, another sponsor. Actually, at that point, I had two sponsors. I had the regular, as I described it, SA sponsor, but then I also had a spiritual sponsor that that helped me in both realms and I actually did multiple 12-step programs um, not just in this program but other programs which again allowed me to kind of look at things differently but through that it helped me identify you know that those thoughts weren't really mine you know they were like a false self that wasn't wasn't who I was Um, and I as I got deeper and, and dug deeper into myself and and even asking my sister and dad questions, uh, my mother passed away about 11 years ago, so I couldn't ask her questions, but there was stuff in my childhood I had never really understood. I had just assumed that it was one thing, but, you know, when I went back, uh, one, for instance, is I, I could not understand why, you know, I, I did a lot of stuff with my dad, and I like going to the Museum of Natural History in New York, and then we'd go watch planes taking off and landing at LaGuardia, and I was, I was like, well... You know, that was after we were divorced. Well, I found out that was before we were divorced. It was just when, you know, when the weekend came, my mother was done with us and she did her own thing and kind of left him to, to take care of us. And that was kind of a wake up call, you know, and, and the men that I was involved with in, in SA and in my SA groups that I worked with, you know, helped me understand that she wasn't who I thought she was. It was a real, time period of of identifying that she really is a narcissist and that you know there was a part of me that thought that the whole time i'd say it easily now but there was a point when i didn't say it um it was very hard for me to understand that she she was the way she was um but it it helped me to to dig deeper and to kind of 
get in touch with the fact that I wasn't in touch with my feelings. Um, give you, for instance, there was probably a time period between probably since when I graduated in college up until, well, when, it, when I when I was going through my cancer surgery, I did have some t- uh, crying spells, but from, from after the surgery to probably 20... 2015, I probably had never cried, you know, so that's probably, it was almost 20 years. So, and I was sick back in 1991, so it's, I'm coming up on my uh, 30-year cancer-free anniversary. Um, so, being able to identify that and then being involved in the program here and letting go and letting God, I started to feel again, you know, and at first it felt, it felt really hard you know i didn't want to feel because it was you know even now i um my wife and i are actually separated and we're in the process of divorce <clears throat> you know and it's being able to feel those those times and my son has to go back and forth and feeling those times it's kind of like opened my heart to be able to to really experience those times versus you know, in the past, I would have jumped right into pornography and masturbating and, and avoiding thinking about it. You know, but being able to open my heart and be there not just for her, but also for him, um, it's, it's just made a, a different, major difference in who I am and, and how I, how I act. Um, and also changed my priorities. You know, I was always about making money and, you know, that's like second fiddle now. It's, you know, being happy and healthy and being there for my son. And it's kind of weird, but, you know, my wife and I, even though we're going through a divorce, we're still friendly with one another. There's not a whole lot of anger there, which is nice. Um, you know, but, you know, so I guess in a sense, it's been a long journey. And as, as I've coming out on the other end and it's been a lot of, of hard deep work and it hasn't been easy and I've been humbled again and again and again um, It and I think through the being humble too has brought me to a lower point in a way it's, it's killed that ego of mine that I had I think before I was I was my own God you know I, I didn't really have a God that I believed in and now I, I do without a doubt have a higher power and a God I believe in you know that I didn't have before and it allows me to be calmer and be more in the moment than I ever have before Um, so thank you thank you thank you Uh, my name's John Sexaholic, and uh, you really know my story now, so I don't have to jump back all of that. Um, I, I like this topic of disposition of the heart. I, I was sitting here trying to figure out where do I start. Um, you know, in the White Book, it talks about where uh, it says the sexaholic has taken himself or herself out of what is right and wrong. We don't. We don't know that. You know what we thought was. Right. What we thought was right was really wrong, and what was wrong was really right. You know that, that idea that, and um, I just remember, or I, I, I've had problems with whenever temptations and thoughts and, and anxiety would come up. 
a sheer drudgery going through that. I always spent my whole life trying to avoid that, avoiding confrontation with people. I never got in fights. You know, I avoided it. I talked my way out of it. And then I would uh, uh, drug myself up to feel better, you know, to feel better. But this disposition of the heart is taking all these things that I guess that society tells me that I should look at as this isn't what you should be doing and turning it around and saying, okay, maybe I need to look at suffering a little bit different than just saying I shouldn't be suffering and learn how to cope with suffering and embrace it and learn how to uh, take these, <clears throat> instead of looking at these these memories that keep popping up in my mind as something that's a royal pain to be something that's saying, hey, this is your higher power telling you to talk to me a little bit more. You know, stay in touch with me and I'll help you get through this. Because I tried to get through all of this stuff and I did it the wrong way. I did it by acting out and by alcohol and by whatever way I could numb it out. And I, I really had to learn over these 20 years in it. And this disposition, I really didn't start realizing it until I started digging deeper into my sobriety. Uh, my sponsor said, you know, you, you need to go further than just being sober. You need to do more than just being, uh, doing your service work. You, you've got to start reading the literature. Get into, find reading material that's going to take you and teach you new things. And, and that's when I started, uh, my typical morning exercise was to get up, turn the TV on, and then do everything else. But the TV had to go on first. But now, it is get up, and now I do my spiritual exercises. I'm reading all kinds of things in the morning, and I have my hour, hour or more, and of just reading different materials, different texts, different essay material, and combining it all together. And through doing that, I learned, hey, I got to stop looking at my problems as being so much as problems, as being an opportunity to get closer to God, to get closer to my higher power, and to have that union. And uh, that that's what has happened to me. This disposition, I keep thinking about disposition, repositioning of the heart, the, the, the way we think about things is the, is the only way I can really uh, put this. Um, I really don't know what else to add because I kind of said it all already out there. So I'm going to hold it there. And uh, give you guys a chance to really talk about it. Come on. I hope I didn't mess up. Did I put two minutes? Four? Four? Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you, guys. You can sit there and I'll sit here. I'm Ed W. from Louisville, Kentucky area. Hey, yeah. Yeah. It's Friday, day, January 1, 191. And, uh, yeah, heart's the place where the real change can happen. I got an illness that centers in my mind, which is the, 
brain damaged uh, organ that uh, <coughs> keeps me stuck, keeps me sick, and secrets uh, are driving the boat. And, uh, you know, heart disposition and diseased attitudes, that's really where uh, the work has to come from. A set of of words, uh, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And uh, it goes along with thy words that I hid in my heart that I might sin against thee. Um, doesn't say anything about the brain. <laughs> and yet, in identifying the, the stories that I've just heard, and it's quite similar to my own experience, um, I was a survivor. And, uh, and I like the phrase from survival to recovery. And again, recovery is in the heart realm. And uh, letting go of the survival techniques of how my brain worked to keep me alive. You know, one of the most dramatic um, experiences that I've had that, that shows me how my brain works is the time that uh, in my vocation, the privilege that I have. I encountered a horse that I was asked to gale, and that horse reared and his hoof grazed my nose, and my nose bled. I went to my truck, stuffed cotton up my nose, come back and did the task that I had to do. Three days later, I come alive, and I realized how close to dying I had experienced. But my brain did for me what I couldn't do for myself. It took me out of reality and put me in survival. And uh, I couldn't feel the feelings. Feelings wasn't something that I could deal with in that moment. I need to be in the realm of just do the next right thing. And uh, so, so the denial and, and the disease of my brain uh, are not necessarily bad things. It's just what the Creator gave me to, to get through to the point where I could start the recovery that's from my heart. And uh, that's continued to occur. Change occurs in my heart. That's what willingness is about. And uh, step six is a mark of perfection. You know, separates the men from the boys. Because it's about the heart. And, uh, you know, everything in me, driven by fear, wants to avoid the pain of change. And yet that's the place where the answer comes. Facing my fear and walking through it, trusting and relying on a power greater than myself that I've come to rely on. You know, trust is a real deal. And the best place for trust is to start with that God that I've grown in understanding and still grow in understanding. Step 10 says we grow in understanding and effectiveness. And uh, with the grace I've been given and the gratitude for that gift, and when I try to give it away, that's where it really is a growing experience from the heart out. God does the work in my heart, and it's my responsibility to try to pass it on. Again, willingness. That's what I want to share. Thanks. Hey, Lee, part of this over lust. Sober since 12, 29 last year. Um, 
I just asked one of the speakers if he did this session last year because I was sitting there thinking that that I came to it, and uh, so I appreciate the reminder of of, uh, of what your morning routine is because he may have said it last year, uh, and I thought, okay, well that sounds that sounds pretty cool. It's a great idea. Well, I never did it last year, and uh, so uh, but now I can look at it from a different pr- perspective. Because as of January the 1st of this year, I do what he was just saying. I don't turn on the TV the first thing. I, uh, I'm in prayer. I'm in devotion. And it's a great start to the day. And, uh, and sometimes when lust wants to kick in, uh, that's just the enemy telling me to delay doing, doing what I want to do. And, uh, so I, I just have to kick lust in the butt, push it aside, and get on with my day and do what I'm supposed to do. So I'm happy to be here, and thanks to the panel. Thanks, Lee. Thanks, Lee. Thanks, Lee. Thanks, Lee. <laughs> Vince, our sexaholic. Um, this, is a, this is a great topic. Uh, for me, the first thing I learned in this program was the definition of lust because I didn't quite understand what it was and how it affected my life. But an attitude demanding that a natural instinct serve an, an unnatural desire. And the thing that struck me first was an, the word attitude. And it was attitude demanding versus attitude of gratefulness. And... <clears throat> My wife told me a couple nights ago when we were counseling that the counselor actually diagnosed me as being a narcissist. I had no idea what a narcissist was. Um, And when I looked it up and read it, I was like, that pretty much describes who I am. And it's it's a disease of the heart. It's self-consumed. And it had everything to do with me and not others serving others was something that I just found very difficult to do. So it was about my life, what I wanted, what I wanted to seek. And um, I was devastating everybody in my entire life, my kids, my wife, my relationship. But the crazy thing was is I was successful in work, which just fed the narcissism, fed the disease. And it wasn't until I figured out that this attitude was really about me worshiping another God, which is myself. I am my own God. And um, lust, which is a God. It's a false God. It's an idol. I quickly found out that I was worshiping an idol, which was lust in myself and not God. But yet, yet I called myself a Christian. Yet I said I was saved. Yet in my faith, which is Christianity, I, I called Christ my Savior. Yet I was my own savior. And it wasn't until I came into this program, got a sponsor, that I truly understood this sick attitude of narcissism, being self-consumed. I was on the verge of my wife leaving me. My kids, I had no, I mean, they didn't want to talk to me because I was just too difficult to talk to. I pontificated too much. I was critical, judgmental. Uh, I still, have, these are my character, my, my character traits that are not so good. Uh, that I have to surrender every morning. So it's lying to myself, lying to others, being critical, judgmental, 
toward my wife, being condescending toward my wife and to others, being sarcastic. These are all character traits that I found in my step four and step eight that I really needed to keep surrendering. So it's only with this program today. I am three years sober coming up in a few days, uh, which I'm absolutely uh, just a different person because of it. Got a different relationship with my wife or I'm in recovery and I'm just grateful to be here. Um, and I'm grateful for the fellowship I serve and um, I'm grateful for my newfound relationship with my creator, which um, he is my God and I'm I'm, I'm just so happy that it's, uh, I don't have to carry this burden anymore. Thanks for letting me be here. Hey guys, I'm Justin C. I'm a sexaholic. Uh, just celebrating going on a couple months here, but uh, just taking it one day at a time. This topic reminded me. Um, just how much of the uh, my heart has been uh, directed in the wrong direction most of my life. Um, and, and it made me reflect about the difference of, uh, you know, what, what's going on in my head and what's going on in my heart. Um, there's a lot going on in my head, and a lot of it's still not good, even though I've been in the rooms for four and a half years. But there's progress and the thinking. And uh, there's less obsession to act out. There's more of a compulsion to reach out to my higher power and to you guys. Uh, But the interesting part about it is that doesn't happen overnight. It happens over a long time with going to meetings, working the steps, uh, listening to what sober members say. But the heart can change disposition just like that. Just in a moment, I can become fearful. In a moment, I can become angry. Um, or, um, you know, isolated. Uh, But I can also change uh, that disposition, like, immediately uh, and and open it up to my higher power and other people. And that's amazing. Uh, I never knew that before I came to this program. That's that's a gift. Um, So I can get a lot of help, and uh, I can listen to a lot of recovery stuff and, Listen to you guys, which helped me so much, and your stories. Um, and uh, I can just, like, in the middle of a lust temptation, or if it's one of my defects, uh, you know, fear, selfishness. I really appreciate this uh, reminder of being a narcissist. That, that was me, really all about self and what I can get. Um, but, you know, the, the heart can turn over just in a second, and I can be like, okay, God, what do I need to bring to this situation? How can I be a channel? What would you have me do? And help me to think your thoughts. Um, And one of the quickest ways uh, also when I'm in a meeting or in a difficult situation is to say, um, Lord, help me to hear this with your ears um, so that I can can be a channel. Because if I don't hear, then um, I won't get what I need in order to do the next right thing. And I appreciate all the reminders of just doing the stuff because the brain is sick. I just do the things no matter what happens and the dreams in my head when I wake up in the morning or lust during the middle of the day and downtime. I just do the next right thing. I reach out and I say, God, thanks for this reminder to pray, to reach out, to text somebody if I can't call, make a call, listen to a meeting. 
um, and reach out for help. Because really, uh, it's that willingness to, to turn my heart toward my higher power and to others. That's my whole recovery. Like, that's my life today. That's my connection. So um, this topic really uh, is the heart of my recovery. Thanks. I'll pass. Thank you. My name's Gray. I'm a sexaholic. Um, so what's true for me, I, I don't think I can change my own heart. I don't, I'm, I'm not somebody, I've never been somebody that can just say, you know what? I'm just going to do the right thing. I'm just, you know, and, and within me, I'm a sexaholic. I'm powerless over lust. There's a line in the white book that says, um, Without God, I can't. But it also says, without me, God won't. What that tells me is I get to participate. I get to give God permission. I can block God. I absolutely can prevent God. But I also can invite God in. And I heard somebody say yesterday, um, you know, a, a tiger can't change his own stripes. And, and I thought, on the one hand, like, yes, that's true. I can't change my own stripes. And my stripes are being changed. God is changing me. And I see God changing people in the program. And how cool that is to be able to, to, to be part of that, where there's lots of voices around me that say, people are who they are. They're never going to change. A tiger can't change his stripes. I get to be part of something where God is changing me. And one quick thing I'll, I'll share, uh, it makes me think of this story that happened to me. It makes me think of the joy response in the recovery continues um so i was i'd gone upstairs in my house to grab something really quick and uh, my kids were downstairs and needed to come back to them and i was halfway down the stairs and realized i'd forgotten something else that i wanted to get and spontaneously out of me i don't know where it came from except god i said thank you god that I only got halfway down the stairs before I remembered I forgot that. And that is not me. My natural reaction is, great, now i got to go back up there, or i got to go up later and get it. And all I conclude, conclude is that God is changing me. This program changes me. This program allows me to be different than who I used to be. So thanks for letting me share. I'm Stanford, recovering sexaholic. Really glad to be here, and really great for the um, topic. Um, something that really jumped out for me was the survival to recovery. And um, <clears throat> when I think about what it, how it was for me before recovery, I didn't know that I had feelings, and I didn't know how to feel them. Um, I only had reactions. So instead of being able to say, I feel angry about this, I would go straight to rage. Um, if that was a socially acceptable option in the moment. Lust was number one, but it wasn't always... I didn't always have the chance right then to go act out. So rage was a close second. And then um, approval and other things like that. Um, you know, whatever, whatever I could do to get a fix and to get out of uh, feeling like I was going to die whatever it took to feel like I was surviving. And today in recovery, I have the option to feel. And um, 
my morning prayer includes a line, um, God, let me feel and not react and know that my thoughts are not the facts. Um, because what's true for me isn't necessarily what's true. Um, it's true for me and it has, um, it's valid, um, but that doesn't mean that I have to react from that truth. And uh, I didn't have... It takes some degree of serenity and centeredness to even have the capacity to pray that prayer. Um, and without this program, I wouldn't have had that. Um, the disposition of my heart today is... Uh, it's unknown to me how I got here. <laughs> Other than being willing... Uh, to connect with a power greater than myself. And in the very beginning, that was only through having a safe place uh, with other people. That was my, that was it. That's all I had. Before recovery, I didn't know that other people struggled. Um, before recovery, uh, I knew there was a God. I just thought he didn't care about me. I, I thought, I have to be good enough for him to care about me and I can't get to good enough. I can't. I can't get there. And uh, before recovery, I, I had a prayer with God about, I said, God, give, I, I can't beat this. I, I'm, I feel terrible all the time and every time I do it, I feel worse. So I'm just going to stop feeling bad. My addiction took a, a drastic spiral down from that point. But my my prayer in that moment was, until you give me... I didn't know recovery was a thing. I didn't know 12 steps. I didn't know anything. But my prayer was, until you give me a safe place um, to and a safe people, then I'm just going to stop feeling bad about acting out. And that took me some to some really dark places, but it also it got dark enough that I could see where the light was. And uh, from then on, I, um, my sobriety date is April 2nd, 2014. Mm-hmm. And uh, that uh, since then, it was dark enough that, hey, here's the light. I can't fix this. I need help. That was the that first spark of light. And from there, uh, I found the program, and it's been amazing ever since. You know, my thinking and my disposition on my own is garbage. I I might be dead by now. I don't know. Um, but um, in recovery, I'm not surviving. I'm living and thriving. And I love my life and I love being here. So thank you. Glad to be thank here. You. Hey guys, Mike, sexaholic. Um, my uh, my ma- my masturbation didn't start until um, I was probably in my early twenties. The but what I've but what preceded that was really anxiety, depression, OCD, and cycling between those three uh, really just generalized categories. And um, what I realized later is, oh, I can just I can just um, be cured of these permanently with masturbation and um, stuff like that. Just uh, it'll just all go away, and then that 
that worked for a uh, certain amount of time, and then um, and then eventually I had both problems. Um, and uh, <clears throat> but what I didn't realize was I'd wake up in the morning or I'd be driving and I'd just have some kind of resentment just just loop in my head and um, didn't never made that connection to uh, to acting out until I started going to meetings and finding these root causes and uh, and there's just so many people in the workplace that didn't have this problem and I was like, oh, gee, why am I the only one who who uh, struggles with this type of stuff? Why does everybody else seem so good? And then I joined this fellowship <laughs> and realized so many other people uh, struggling just like me. And you just realize that sometimes your your circumstances do put you in a situation where maybe you're more likely to uh, get in these resentment loops that get you into these other problems. And... Um, I know probably about 80% of us came from what we call as dysfunctional families, but that, I mean, whether you identify as that or not, uh, the important thing is what you do with it. And and God knew that you were going to be in there to begin with, but he, uh, he brought us together so that we could uh, all help each other uh, in our own unique ways, get over these, uh, these underlying problems that we came into the world with and uh for me i was just i was just moving moving around a lot and uh just every year um every year changing apartments um and just thinking that every single time thinking that i'm in a new environment and it'll just problems will just go away by themselves but they always, they always found a way to uh, to follow me, and uh, it wasn't until I started recovery that uh, I started sort of taking the problems off the wall of my room or apartment and and realizing realizing that was the root of my of what was going on there, and uh, and. Uh, I'm from Massachusetts, but I used to live in Georgia and then moved uh, back to Massachusetts as kind of part of my moving around. And um, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's mine was racing. I feel like I have to go on all these trips and uh, <clears throat> change, uh, change apartments and, and clear my mind that way. And now it's just, less and less I don't feel that way as much um, I'm new to recovery um, sobriety day is February 10th um, <clears throat> I can't predict the future and uh, sometimes I, I I catch myself in, in, in these resentment loops still and I try to use my right side of my mind and slow down a little bit um, confess it to other people in my fellowship to get out of it and uh, I'm in this other fellowship where we keep track of whether it's forgetting priorities anxiety, speeding up 
ticked off, exhausted, or relapsed wherever you are so that you catch yourself before you fall into a relapse. And that's been super helpful for me because I would, I would literally just walk around the sidewalks and try to, you know, force people to, random people to force, force them to just move out of the way and, um, as a way to feel empowered about myself to stay sober and uh that wasn't right and that kind of got me that got me down the track eventually so i was kind of in a state of ticked off for a few months and didn't even realize it and didn't even realize that wasn't healthy so this new uh fellowship has kind of helped me in that way as well it's not about just taking shortcuts to get sober or channel your resentments into other things it's about just taking a step back and getting rid of the resentments entirely and uh that's it thank you yeah that's uh, all the time we have thank you for participating please join me in thanking our panel Anything you have heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles of SA are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. This is an anonymous program. Please keep the names, address, phone number of anyone you meet or learn about in SA to yourself. And what you say here, let it stay here. We're there. We never identify ourselves publicly with SA in the press, the radio, TV, or films. Neither does anyone speak for SA. Uh, let's stand up and uh, take a moment of silence. I say, uh, let's not hold hands. Um, and then let's close it in the serenity prayer. God, God I already serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.